Welcome to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. I'm Maeve Conran. This week, we're at Netroots Nation 2022. It took place in Pittsburgh, and it's a gathering of progressive activists and organisations. And a lot of the conversations happening here are about voting systems and structures and how to improve them. We caught up with Nathan Lockwood of Rank the Vote. It's a non-profit that seeks to educate people about rank choice voting. From Free Speech TV, Just Solutions. Thanks for being with us. Pleasure to be here, mate. Your organisation is all about rank choice voting, which is in stark contrast to our current winner-takes-all system. So before we talk about exactly what rank choice voting is, is it fair to say we have a winner-take-all system? How would you currently describe what we have in terms of elections? Absolutely. It is is a winner-take-all system, and it's also one where uh, voters are limited to expressing support for uh, only one candidate when they vote. Um, We're also not guaranteed that even in that winner-take-all, pick-one system, we're not guaranteed that uh, the winner uh, will have a majority of support. And in the cases where voters get choices and more than two candidates run, you can have winners with 20 or 30 percent support and not have an election that results um, in everyone clearly knowing who a majority of voters wanted to be the representative. So how does our current system tie into a lot of the cynicism that we're seeing around elections, a lot of the attitudes that I'm going to vote against somebody as opposed to somebody who really reflects my values because I'm trying to be strategic in my vote. So instead of voting for the candidate that you really want to vote for, you're actually voting for somebody else. Absolutely. Uh, You're right, because in our current system, in those moments where you have those multiple choices, maybe there is you know, a candidate that really speaks to you that you're excited about, but you have that strategic worry that if you actually vote for your favorite candidate, if they're not a front runner, you could actually be wasting your vote helping elect the candidate you agree with least. So, so folks are in many cases voting out of fear, and it's sort of a perpetuating cycle where you know people just have less and less confidence in the voting system. You know, I think we've had very, very high-profile cases of that, of course, with Bernie Sanders as a candidate. Um, but going back to Florida in 2000, when Ralph Nader was accused by so many people who still hold him responsible for George Bush's win in that presidential election because of such a narrow victory in Florida. But the reality was that many people just preferred Ralph Nader over Al Gore, but that has led to a fallout where people now feel there's no way I can vote for a candidate that I fully want to because I have to hedge my bets and vote against the worst candidate. Exactly, and that's a perfect example of how our voting system is, uh, first of all, it allowed allowed Nader's participation to spoil that election, but secondly, the dynamics around it results in people not wanting to be Ralph Nader anymore, and thus denying us more perspectives and more choices of candidates uh, in our elections. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. So it's not just the election itself, but it's the knock-on effect where people don't even want to participate because they're like, unless I fit into either of these two parties, there's no chance for me to ever get elected, certainly at a federal level. And so what does that mean for diversity of uh, candidates and then diversity of representation? 
Absolutely. Well, I mean, the, the great thing about our country is in the last, you know, whatever, 20, 30, 40 years, we have seen, you know, some cultural advancement in terms of diversity. But at this point, our election system is holding us back from where we could be. And in fact, um, we see in places that have upgraded their voting systems to things, ranked choice voting, for example, that they are seeing uh, more women winning office, more people of color, um, more people participating in elections with a, a broader range of ideas. Um, so, um, so there's definitely an opportunity there to, uh, to really allow our politics and our government to reflect you know, the diversity that our culture is increasingly demanding. Well, let's explain exactly what ranked choice voting is, because it's not as complicated as I think many people fear it to be. So what is it? Simple explanation. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's really appropriate to be talking about this on free speech TV, because ranked choice voting is a simple upgrade to the way we vote. Same, you know, instead of picking a single candidate, you are allowed as a voter to rank the candidates in the order you like them. So your favorite would be your first choice, your next preference, your second choice, etc. If your favorite doesn't have the support needed to win, your ballot counts for your next choice. You never have to worry about wasting your vote. And it takes that whole spoiler problem off the table. They can't blame Ralph Nader for running because Nader voters could vote Nader first and then pick Al Gore second. Or they could have voted for Ross Perot first and pushed uh, George H.W. Bush second. So it, it gives free expression, that freedom at the ballot box for voters, and that freedom for candidates to run. And it, it makes it worthwhile for people who are engaged in politics, if they have a new body of ideas, to go ahead and form a new party. You won't be a spoiler. You'll be a new participant in you know, a robust conversation. I think many people would be surprised to know that it actually is happening in certain places. Certainly in municipalities, San Francisco has it in place. Yep. Um, Cambridge, Massachusetts, I think, was one of the first cities in the US and very successfully, the New York mayoral election recently. Um, and then certain states like the state of Alaska and the state of Utah, it doesn't have a statewide in Utah, but it has a huge number of municipalities in Utah. Now, Alaska and Utah would be considered conservative states. So this really goes to the fact that this is a bipartisan concept. It's not favoring one particular party. It's just about favoring the voters. That's a fantastic point, uh, Maeve. And I think uh, people in all different parts of the political spectrum are starting to discover that. I think progressives have seen the appeal for a, a long time. Uh, we're at net roots today. Uh, I got involved uh, in ranked choice after the 2016 presidential election, which happened to be right after Maine became the first U.S. state to to win it for for their elections uh, statewide, state and federal elections. And you know there was amongst Democrats and progressives with everything around the 2016 election, Hillary dealing with you know Jill Stein and Gary Johnson running, and then the acrimonious stuff between in the primary with Sanders and Clinton where Sanders could have run in the general with ranked choice and brought all that energy, the people who were sitting at home upset about the primary would have been out there voting for Sanders and probably ranking Hillary. So progressives have, have been uh, early adopters, but the Republicans are getting on board too. Some of the biggest fans of ranked choice voting now are Virginia Republicans. Um, they use ranked choice voting in their gubernatorial election, uh, which brought in which they were pretty much locked out of power. The blue wave did, you know, had enormous success in Virginia. And they're like, how do we win? 
they were looking at this a big field of Republican candidates for governor, including uh, a, a woman who had been in, participated in the uh, the assault on the Capitol, and they're thinking, you know, in this big crowded field, she could win with 25 or 30 percent, and that would not be a good look for us, and that would not win a statewide office. So they said, well, we're going to tr we're going to try that thing they're doing in Utah, and we're going to use that for our party primaries, and they used it, and it worked. It allowed them to, to get a candidate that their party could unify behind and go on to uh, electoral success. Um, and so they, this is Republicans, are using it now in Virginia. They decided it worked so well there, they wanted to use it for their congressional election. So not a Republican thing, it's not a progressive thing, it's really good for, for everyone to, to, get a, to feel like elections matter and that elections are about translating what individual people want to representatives that they feel confident representing. We're in a very polarized time right now. Uh, there's a lot of extremism. There's a lot of are, are a lot of extreme candidates, and I know that ranked choice voting has been proven to be successful in other countries that have had very real conflict. And I'm talking about Northern Ireland. The Republic of Ireland itself has had ranked choice voting for more than a century. I think going back to 1919. Yep. But under the uh, the Good Friday Peace Agreement in Northern Ireland and the votes there. People were able to get on board in a you know, cross-party, peaceful way because of the ability to use a system like ranked choice voting. I hope I'm not overstating the role of something like ranked choice voting in you know, a very significant peace agreement. But talk a little bit about that because many people feel we're in such a state of conflict right now that we're looking for solutions. They, we don't, doesn't everybody feel that way? We are in a state of conflict and we all have our political perspectives that we feel strongly about, but we feel like as different as the policy ideas make, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be angry at each other in the way we are. And I just think the example you made was so beautiful, like that they chose this election system. Can you pick an example? Northern Ireland, you know, the, there were factions attacking each other and killing each other. So, so I think it's a wonderful example. Let's talk about what is it fundamentally about ranked choice voting that makes it a helpful, a helpful thing for um, societies in conflict, societies with diversity where you need to bring people together. And what it is is that, is that ranking process creates an interest. There's a couple pieces of it. There's a ranking process that creates an incentive for candidates. If you and I are competing in an election with a couple other folks, um, I, I want I want not only to have my supporters vote for me, but I want your supporters to pick me as your second and third choice. And so now the dynamic is flipped because instead of you know me being being a winning strategy for me to say how awful you are and how terrible a choice you would be to represent you know our district or, or our our constituency, I'm actually because I want to win over your supporters to be my supporters as well. I'm going to say, you know, I think you should vote for me first, but Maeve and I agree on in environmental policy, and we agree that, you know, we should be spending more on education, and we agree that uh, it's time to, uh, you know, uh, support the peace process in, you know, the Congo, or, or whatever it is we agree on. So totally different dynamic from this smash down the other side dynamic. It seems that you could actually focus on policy, and you could focus on the issues, and what's actually impacting people as opposed to this polarized dynamic of my team or their team and the othering that is really so pervasive right now in our political system. That's absolutely, absolutely true. 
Um, one, th- a couple other dynamics we could add to that. You know, you mentioned uh, Ireland in, in Northern Ireland. So Ireland um, uses ranked choice voting in in uh, multi-member districts, meaning when you know instead of having a geographic district have one representative, a geographic district has three or four or five, and it it eliminates the ability to gerrymander, which has become a problematic tool in American politics, also feeding into that polarization, Mm -hmm. because we know 85 to 90% of districts in the US now are safe, and we can predict which party's gonna win 98% of the time. And that's dangerous because those parties don't need to appeal to the other side, or people who see differently at all. They can go right for their base, and it just accelerates the separation that's hurting us. You're listening to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. I'm Maeve Conran. Today, we're at Netroots Nation, a gathering of progressive activists and organizations that took place recently in Pittsburgh. Our guest is Nathan Lockwood of Rank the Vote. That's a nonprofit that seeks to educate people about rank choice voting. Find out more about their work at rankthevote.us and find out more about us and watch past episodes of Just Solutions and more of our conversations from Netroots Nation at our website, freespeech.org. I mean, this is what we've been touching on really essentially is how this current winner-takes-all system is just quite detrimental to our democracy. I know there have been studies on that and how ranked choice voting, as you mentioned earlier, can increase participation. So you will get more representation, more people will come on board. And I know that was a case recently, I think, was it in New York? There, there were some council votes that they, or elections that we've seen more women. There's more gender yep. parity when we have ranked choice voting. Uh, there are more people of color maybe represented. Yep. Absolutely. Now, so that's a great example of, of New York and, and the power of, you know, making the voting system more responsive and how quickly you can see change happen. In Northern Ireland, there were obviously a lot of changes going on. The voting system was one and they were able to go from a very troubled situation to a, you know, a, a, to get to a track to stability and peace much faster. In New York, um, you know, there it was still winner-take-all elections, but with with ranked choice voting, and even in winner-take-all elections with ranked choice, there are still significant benefits, uh, including the the civility benefit. But when you had um, you know many women running, and you had some great civic organizations supporting uh, women candidates and helping them uh, compete. What you could do with ranked choice voting, they didn't have to worry if there were two or three women with different perspectives running for the same seat and fragmenting the pro-woman vote. You know, you don't want to have to, if you, you know, whatever group you are, you don't want to just have one woman run, like, because not all women think alike, you know? Uh, so they could have multiple run and uh, still without hurting each other's chances. In fact, they could help each other's chances. How transformative was this? Well, it was combined with other reforms, which helped, like they had great campaign finance, they had a term limits thing, which meant more open seats, and then ranked choice that allowed them to compete fully. But um, they went from 27% representation of women on New York City Council, 27 or 28, to 61%. The first time women have represented a majority of the city council. Can you imagine 
if we had a similar change in Congress, uh, the number is roughly the same, about 27% women. Uh, that's, that's worked uh, for women. It's also worked well for um, in other places that have adopted ranked choice voting for people of color. You see an increase of people of color running and winning office. And even there with, with, uh, with winner take all elections with ranked choice voting, but still some really major benefits. There was also the New York mayoral race, and there were some criticisms around that. There were some issues, and some people said, oh, that's got to be the ranked choice voting. Yep. But there were many other faults there. Talk a little bit about maybe some of the problems, or at least sure. some of the problems that are being attributed to ranked choice voting, either fairly or unfairly. Uh, there was, I would say that was misallocation of, of blame in that case. Um, and well, so in terms of what the, all the stuff in the headlines about um, the mis some mistakes that happened. Their Board of Elections is, is, a, is a body in New York City that doesn't have a fantastic reputation. It's, it's an appointed body. It's widely believed that, you know, maybe a little bit too nepotistic in terms of how they're formed. They, uh, they, they turned away help in terms of transitioning, in terms of expert support in running the system. And they made a very visible mistake where they took results from a t system test and presented those as the res preliminary results of the election. That was obviously a big mistake. That was actually, a s the other issue was there was talks about the delay in the count, which was actually entirely due to not ranked choice, but rather the uh, absentee ballot laws in New York, which were built for a time when absentee ballots were, you know, relate where you had to request them and you mm -hmm. needed to have, uh, uh, it was, you needed a specific reason to be able to request them. This was an election held during the pandemic with more vote by mail participation, historic, you know, absolutely un unseen participation of vote by mail. It went very well in the terms of people being able to vote and uh, have their ballot, their vote count, but New York State's rules prohibited those ballots from being counted for two weeks. Mm. So with that kind of volume, you can't call the election until those ballots are in. So there was a built-in delay from that. To its credit, the New York State Legislature turned around and passed reforms to the um, vote-by-mail laws you know, immediately following that election. Well, I'd like to talk about that in the counting of the ballots and how a ranked choice voting approach might make it a longer process because yeah. you mentioned the delays in counting the ballots in the New York mayoral race. Yes. In the great state of Pennsylvania that we are speaking in right now at Netroots Nation, in the uh, 2020 election, there were delays in counting because there were so many mail-in ballots and Absolutely. the state legislature had not and still hasn't passed legislation to allow early tabulation. Right. The delay in them releasing the election results opened up a space for misinformation to go in and fester and just run rampant. Right. So is there a concern that introducing something that you know we're not going to get immediate results it's going to take longer to count these ballots it's not just one box that's checked right that that could further you know create these problems because of the delays so it's certainly a concern that's worth worth exploring what i would say is that um in general with their delays the delays attributable to ranked choice voting are of much smaller magnitude than these delays we saw with the mail-in ballots due to the, the legal issue. So in some, depending on the jurisdiction and the size and whatnot, you're talking about maybe a day or two delays. These are things with broader implementation that we are pretty confident are resolvable. They're resolving slowly because 
um, ranked choice voting is a relatively new phenomenon. Mm -hmm. There's there's 50 cities using it, which is a lot, but um, but there's still a lot, you know, that's it's still early going. Um, and to its credit, places that adopt it are proceeding s slowly. Um, in or you know, in terms of being sure that as they're introducing ranked choice voting, they're maintaining all their security practices. So you could accelerate uh, ranked choice voting counting and collecting of data from precincts using electronic transmission and whatnot, but that has to be uh, approached with great care due to uh, you know the paramount importance of security. We also need a lot of voter education because if the 2020 election taught us anything, and certainly January 6th told, taught us anything, there are a lot of people who just fundamentally don't even understand the election system that we have. And so we're, if we were to introduce something that is a little bit different, albeit not incredibly complicated, that that in and of itself is a barrier because that would take an investment. I mean, I know New York invested several million into voter education, but I mean, that would be an element that would have to go, go in as well. It's absolutely critical to the success of these, uh, you know, uh, of ranked choice voting implementations that you have uh, good voter education. Also really effective education of the administrators. And so in the ranked choice voting movement nationally, there's organizations that are investing now in in educating uh, election administrators about how ranked choice voting works, even in advance of their uh, states or cities adopting it, to sort of start that conversation. So admins, voters, and also candidates. So get mm. folks and rank the vote. We specialize in educating the voters so that in advance about the benefits of the system and how it works so that they can uh, get excited about it, which is what we find people do when they're, uh, when they're, when they become aware of the opportunity. I mean, this is something it seems that has huge potential to cut through a lot of the cynicism that people feel about, well, the voting system itself, but also the fact that even if you do cast a vote and, and the person that you elect or that you voted for gets into office, your issues are rarely represented, your communities don't have the real representation that you need. Money in politics is a huge issue as well. I mean, how would ranked choice voting maybe overcome some of that? Uh, yes, that's a great question. Well, you know, one of the one of the barriers right now for candidates who don't have as much money, who don't have as much name recognition, is that you know they're getting tuned out very. New candidates get tuned out very early, first from donors and then from voters, because it's like you you know uh, it's not your turn. You can't you know you you have no chance against the similar established candidate with ranked choice you can throw your hat in there's no harm in running if you really catch on people are going to invest with donations and voters uh, are more apt they're going to more seek out to learn about you because they're not going to be worried about wasting your vote that that's one way there's other kind of more more kind of um, complicated reason basically ranked choice voting by give allowing voters to get candidates they like that's called accountability that's what democracy is all about and accountability means accountability to voters as opposed to accountability to special interests means that um, that uh, the people have more influence in the operation of their government than money so it's really important in that regard as well well we just have a few minutes left and I know your organization rank the vote is all about educating people on this particular issue so what are the main misconceptions that you would like to clear up as you know what you're hearing from people the misconceptions and misunderstandings that you think people need to you know get past and that you'd like to clarify right right well I think the main 
the first thing is, thanks for having us on. You've helped us with our mission, which is first and foremost, making people aware of ranked choice voting, what it is, the benefits, the opportunity. A second misconception is some people say, well, isn't that complicated? Aren't, aren't low information voters going to struggle with it? Aren't, you know, isn't it going to privilege some voters over other? And we're happy to say there's been, because it's been used now in the U.S. for, um, since 2005, uh, in municipal elections, now statewide in Alaska for two cycles. Of course, it's been used in Australia and Ireland for 100 years. We have great data, and what the data shows is the more familiar with, with ranked choice voting voters are, the more they like it. They, uh, they are able to use their ballots very effectively. They don't make errors at rates that are significantly different, in some cases lower than with standard ballots. And that uh, all types of voters of all kinds of different groups are able to uh, use it effectively and take advantage of the benefits it offers. Well, as you said, the state of Maine, the state of Alaska have adopted them statewide. About 50 cities, 50 munis municipalities have it. But what is the national movement on this? Are there other cities, other communities trying to implement it? And what about at a federal level? Sure, absolutely. So, um, so there, there's there's every cycle now, it's growing, and there's new municipalities. In this cycle, Fort Collins in the state of Colorado is, is a great ballot referendum in a, a group that's done a great job engaging their community uh, on the subject of ranked choice voting. Um, the Evanston, Illinois is gonna have a ballot referendum. Ojai, California. I'm probably just forgetting a few right now, but there's a number of ballot initiatives. At the state level, Nevada has a ballot measure that would allow that, that would have them join Alaska and Maine in using ranked choice voting for state and federal elections. So that's what's going on this cycle. Um, I think we're going to see that grow further at the federal level. You know, it's we think it's early days. You know, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of educating and building the support. And these statewide and municipal wins, they help with that. The work we're doing to get people out into their communities talking about it helps with that. But there is a bill called the Fair Representation Act in uh, Congress that would introduce ranked choice voting in multi-member districts to improve American elections. And uh, Fair Vote, another, one of our partner organizations who's been working very hard at ranked choice voting, really brought the idea back to America. And they're, they're educating Congress and their staffers now so that once the support nationally is there, we will have that solution ready to be passed in Congress. Well, for anyone who's watching or listening right now and they're interested in this and trying to see how maybe their community can get involved, what would you suggest? Absolutely. Well, definitely go to rankthevote.us, www.rankthevote.us. We have a, a place you can go and find the group that's working in your state to grow support for ranked choice voting. And you can click the link to not only sign up for Rank the Vote, but sign up for your state group as well. Get involved. If you don't have a lot of time, you can give money. If you don't have a lot of time, you can invite a speaker from that group to talk to your civic or political group, or come uh, give a party for your, your friends and colleagues at your house. They'll give a 15 or 20 minute presentation. You can have them rank some ice cream or some beer, whatever you like, everyone will have a good time. And do you think now is the moment for something like this, something so transformative, because people are focusing so much on how we vote as much as who we vote for? I think so. I think, I mean, unfortunately, it's never been a better time because the problems of polarization, of gerrymandering, and of, of the government just not able to work effectively because it's so divided and so disconnected from what people want, these have never been more apparent. So it, it's, you know, it's people want to enjoy the freedom of having responsive government, the freedom of having their votes count, and have the freedom to express themselves in a way they feel satisfying at the ballot box. So, 
Maeve, I think you're right. The time is now. Nathan Lockwood, Executive Director of Rank the Vote. Thank you for being our guest. My pleasure, Maeve. You've been listening to the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV. Our guest was Nathan Lockwood of Rank the Vote. That's a nonprofit that seeks to educate people about rank choice voting. Find out more at rankthevote.us. We recorded today's episode at Netroots Nation, a gathering of progressive activists and organizations that took place recently in Pittsburgh. You can find out more at netrootsnation.org. And find out more about us and watch more of our conversation from Netroots and past episodes of Just Solutions at freespeech.org. For the Just Solutions podcast, I'm Maeve Conran.